I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. This is the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Of course, we will get to some Hey Mary Kay questions, but this is the first time, Mary Kay, that I've talked to you on a podcast uh, since Jim Brown died last Thursday. We found out about it on Friday. Uh, if folks haven't caught up to the pods yet, I talked to Dave uh, Dave Zirin, who wrote a book about Jim Brown. Uh, it was a really good interview, a lot of in-depth stuff on Jim. So uh, make sure you check that out. That went up over the weekend uh, if, if you missed it for some reason. Uh, but Mary Kay, with, with Jim Brown's passing, obviously, you know, I don't think there's any argument. The greatest Brown of all time, uh, arguably the greatest running back of all time. Uh, I guess just just what are your thoughts here a few days later? Well, you know, I've just been thinking about this so much because from the very moment I started covering the Cleveland Browns back in the late 1980s, uh, you know, Jim Brown was just such a, a larger than life presence around the football team at times, not around the football team at times. He had a, um, you know, he had a, a back and forth sort of up and down love hate relationship with the Cleveland Browns. There were times he was estranged from the team. There were times he was around, but I got to spend a fair amount of time with him over the years. In fact, Dan, you and I were uh, looking back at a, a video that we taped with Jim Brown in what, I don't know what year that was, 2016 or something like that. I think it was like 2017, maybe. Okay. Um, so, you know, we were, you know, we were around Jim. We saw him. I saw him a lot over the 30 years of covering the team. I've had many, many conversations with him about a lot of things. I would have to say that the number one thing I had conversations with him about more than anything uh, was about his American program. He was so very proud of that. Uh, he wanted to leave that legacy. He wanted to change lives. He wanted to serve. That's really what he was all about in those later years of his life. So those were my in-depth conversations with him. But I talked to him about a lot of other things. I mean, he was 100% on board with the Browns uh, starting Johnny Manziel. And, uh, you know, at that time, he thought that Johnny could give them a spark. He liked players that had that moxie, uh, you know, just that, you know, that gamer in them. And he thought that Johnny had that. Uh, he was against, he, he was not in favor of the drafting of Trent Richardson. So we kind of bonded over that a little bit because uh, I, I just did not think they should do that either. I didn't see the greatness in Trent. Jim Brown did not see the greatness in him. Uh, he did see the greatness in Nick Chubb. He loved Nick Chubb uh, all the years that he got to watch Nick. Uh, and I and I do know that the feeling was mutual on Nick's part. But, um, you know, it's sad. It's sad because, 
I wrote this in, in one of the stories that I wrote that uh, there aren't very many players that I have been com- in complete awe of in my 30 year career. But I met Jim, you know, I've met Jim Brown many times. I was always in awe of him from the moment I met him all the way up until the very end. Always in awe of him, always had a respect for him. And I know he's got a very, you know, he's got some controversial issues uh, in his past. Um, I think he's addressed those. I think he atoned for those. I think he served, uh, you know, some time for the most recent issue where he, uh, you know, where he dealt, you know, he damaged his, his wife's. Uh, windshield on her car. He had some issues uh, with some violence involving women. And I don't know exactly all the details of what went on uh, with those things, but he has acknowledged that he, uh, you know, that he did things wrong in that regard and that he had to get a handle on himself in that way. Um, But for the most part, I was in awe of him as a man, as a player, as a human being. And the only other individual that inspired that kind of awe when I met him was Muhammad Ali. And I mean, there just aren't that many people like that, that are just larger than life. And you know that you're in the presence of a legend and an icon. Yeah. And those, those things are all part of his legacy. Um, it's something a lot of people have talked about over the weekend. Um, the accusations of violence against, it's all part of his legacy. It's what makes him so, it's what makes it so complicated because he also was on the forefront of social justice, like you mentioned. I mean, you you said Muhammad Ali's name. I mean, those two were kind of side by side when it came to social justice. And I, you know, I didn't get a chance to have a lot of conversations with Jim, but I did get to sit in on a team meeting once with uh, it was like like right before the draft in 2018. Mm-hmm. And they were presenting players with opportunities for it was when the Browns were really pushing social justice initiatives. And Jim was one of the speakers there. And you know, it's just one of those things like these athletes are all young. Some of them know history. Some of them don't, but it didn't matter. Like if they met Jim Brown, it was like, Hey, that's Jim Brown. They all knew Jim Brown. And I think we're all in awe of him too. Yeah. And you know what? Here's the other thing about (laughs) them knowing or not knowing Jim Brown. If they showed up on the Cleveland Browns doorstep and they didn't know the legend and the legacy of Jim Brown, they knew it by the time they left. There were some players that we would, you know, kind of ask about Jim Brown, and they didn't really know that much about him. Not all players that come into the NFL are historians or students of the game like others are. Um, and, uh, you know, there were some that, you know, knew that he had been in some movies. I've had guys say, oh, yeah, what, like, wasn't he in the Dirty Does or whatever, you know. I've had some guys, you know, think that he was, you know, know him from his acting career more so than from his football career. But I think over the years, the Browns realized that they had to make sure that their players understood who the greats were that came before them, who the Hall of Famers were that came before them. And so they did start to, you know, show highlights and and let these players uh, really understand and know uh, who built the Cleveland Browns. And when they went last year, when Kevin Stefanski took the team last year down to practice at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium in Canton, and he was going to bring them to tour the Hall of Fame, on the way down, on the bus trip down, they they watched Jim Brown's A Football Life. And by the time they got done, uh, you know, arriving there in Canton, they knew a whole lot more about Jim Brown than they did before. So, uh, you know, there's so many things. I mean, Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick revered Jim Brown and has taken his Patriots team twice by bus after games at Cleveland Brown Stadium to stop at the 
at the Jim Brown statue and to have a history lesson about what he meant to the NFL, how he paved the way for them as players and how he was such a civil rights activist. Yeah. And uh, just as the football player too, it's one of those things where you watch him run and and you just see him, his size, his speed, all of that. You, it's really easy to believe that he could have performed in any era. He's, he's Mm -hmm. one of those players, you know, you put him in, you put him out there tomorrow and give him all the benefits the players have now. And, and, but you put Jim Brown in his prime out there tomorrow and he's going to be just as good as he was in the the fifties and sixties because he was, he was just that much better than, than everybody else. When you watch some of those clips from Syracuse and, and also, you know, some of the old Browns clips as well. Oh yeah. I mean, you could plop him into this era and he would have been uh, just as great. I believe as, as he was then. I mean, he, he just excelled and dominated at every sport, every level, everything that he did. And one of the things that I remember about him is that he just carried that aura about him really all the way up into the end. I mean, you just, um, you know, you just felt like he was invincible even when he was in his seventies. Right. Uh, you know, he just, you just knew that you were in the presence of, of greatness. And, uh, and when I think about this, what's really interesting is, you know, right here in Cleveland, you know, we have had arguably the best NFL player of all time in Jim Brown and the best NBA player of all time, arguably in LeBron James. Right. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to be able to say that and to have those two guys come together and bond the way that they did, especially during the, you know, the Cavs championship series in, in those years, uh, it, it, it was pretty interesting to see the, you know, the torch passed. Yeah, it was cool to see Jim Brown up on that stage when the Cavs won that championship. Um, that that was definitely a, a cool moment, and like you said, to, to see the relationship that he and LeBron have have built or, uh, over the years that was that was really special. So let's let's transition into some Hey Mary Kay questions, and this is a Jim Brown related one from Doward Williamson in Sacramento, California. Hey Mary Kay, is there any thought of naming the stadium? Jim Brown Stadium. What a fitting tribute. And of course, you spoke to the Haslam's over the weekend. And I know you guys talked a little bit about how, how they want to or, or how they're going to try to honor him. Well, I actually did ask that question. It had to be asked. Um, so I did ask them that. And and D Haslam actually said, you know what? That has not come up yet. But it certainly will. It certainly will. I've gotten questions uh, with people asking me if they will name it Jim Brown Stadium. It's a decision they're going to have to make. Because, of course, as we know, uh, there are millions and millions of dollars to be made in naming rights of a stadium. And their agreement with First Energy Stadium is up now, and it has reverted back to Cleveland Brown Stadium. So the opportunity is there right now, but they would have to make a decision uh, if they wanted to give up, um, you know, the naming rights. And, you know, maybe there are way, other ways they feel they can accomplish honoring Jim in some permanent way. But that is exactly what Jimmy Haslam said when I asked him about this topic. He said, we will honor him in some permanent way other than the statue that they have down there. And his number, of course, was retired when he went into the Hall of Fame in 1971. And um, But I asked him, you know, will you name a street after him or something? And um, so they said all of the, like all of those things are uh, going to be discussed. Again, the uh, the stadium name had not come up at that point yet. Um, but they will find some ways to do things. Um, but they also are going to do them, I think, in a way that 
Jim would want them to do them. And that's why I'm wondering, would they really put his number 32 on the helmet? Would he want that? Or would he have wanted the plain helmet that they always have had, right? So I think they have to weigh some of those things. Um, but certainly they can have number 32 somewhere. Dehasm did say that the number 32 will be honored prominently somehow. Will it be on the helmet? I don't know. I mean, I, I think I would actually like it to be on the helmet this year. What do you think, Dan? Um, I, I'd be okay with that. I think that would be a good idea. It, it should be on the uniform somewhere. Could they make like the 32 yard hash mark, like a different color? Could they like outline idea. that, outline that and look like Brown or something? I don't know. I, I think there's different ways they could do that. Um, and then, and then as far as the naming thing, they could always do Jim Brown field at whatever stadium, something like that. Right. Um, there, there's ways they can do it. I, I do think too, that you know, they they do need to be a little bit sensitive to his history and, and some of the problematic sides of it. But I think there's a way to balance it and honor him appropriately with, without, you know, getting a lot of blowback from people. And it's, look, there's already a statue is already in the ring of honor. I mean, Jim Brown is he is the Cleveland Browns. Right. So you're right. It is it is complicated. And, you know, it, it's it's interesting when you, you know, in the backdrop of of this that, you know, with the whole Deshaun Watson situation. I mean, somewhere down the road, we might be having a conversation about Deshaun Watson's complicated legacy in Cleveland. I mean, these are difficult topics to, you know, to discuss, to handle. How do you honor? How do you write about, um, you know, these types of situations? Uh, I, I think we can, we can all agree that, um, you know, they are part of their story. They are part of their narrative. They don't necessarily define them. I mean, we'll have to see uh, when all is said and done in the case of, of Deshaun, how uh, how the story 100% plays out over the years. But I don't think it defined Jim Brown. I think it was something people thought about, about him, but I don't think it defined him. I think what defined him was his social activism and uh, his amazing legacy on the football field. They could also paint 32 in the end zones. I I think there's a lot of different things they could do. See, now I'm just brainstorming. This has just turned into a brainstorm session with how the Browns can honor Jim Brown. <laughs> well, we should. Add, we'll put it out to our texters is what we will do. Uh, we'll put it out to our Browns insiders. And I know we've, uh, you know, we've put it out to our, our general readership. But, uh, you know, we always love to get uh, the insight and the input of our Browns insiders. So we will put out a text uh, and ask for how do you think the Browns should honor Jim Brown? And then we'll probably end up, you know, we may end up doing another uh, part of a pod on that, or we could possibly do a post on that or whatever. But I think we we will definitely ask our texters. Okay. Well, speaking of our texters, they had more questions that were not related to Jim Brown. So we're going to take a break here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And when we get back, we'll get into some of our football questions from our Football Insider subscribers. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
I'm back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Uh, questions from our football insiders, subscribers, Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get involved in that. Let's start here. Uh, Mary Kay Paxton Styles, again, one of our regulars from Chevrolet, Maryland. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, do you think Joe Woods would have had better success if he had this upcoming roster? Or do you think his schemes wouldn't have matched well with these players? I think he would have had better success with this roster. Quite often, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, styles make fights. Players make, you know, a scheme. And, you know, the talent of a player can make or break an offense or a defense. And I think that Joe Woods would have fared much, much better had he had Zadarius Smith to go along with Miles Garrett and Ogo Obo. Okoronkwo to go along with Miles Garrett, Dalvin Tomlinson at tackle. Um, so yes, I do think that that Joe would have fared much much better uh, with this talent on the roster. And you know, when when Joe's career is said and done, we'll have a better idea of how maybe he fared in some of the other cities. He's the defensive coordinator coordinator now for the Saints, and we'll have to see how things play out for him over the years. Um, but you know, maybe, you know, maybe that season or his career here in Cleveland didn't also define who he was as a coordinator. You know, I mean, there were stretches where Joe Woods, defenses were really good. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, we came out of the 2021 season, like that was the talk of the off season. Like this defense is going to be really good because they were playing at a top five level towards Mm -hmm. the end of that season. And I'd even argue there were stretches in the end of this last season where they were playing better that it really wasn't the defense that was costing. Now they weren't perfect. And, and there were certainly times when they needed to be better, but they were towards the end of the season, they were playing better. And I think the offense was as much and Deshaun Watson's rest was as much to blame as, as anything. So I don't know, Joe Woods, legacy is a little bit, um, I, I'm not, it's a, it's incomplete, I guess is what mm-hmm. I'll say, because I think there were times when the defense could have been really good. We can't erase the, the blown coverages and the mess it was at the beginning of last season, but there, there were certainly times when this defense played well under Joe Woods. Yes, absolutely. 100%. And, um, you know, Joe Woods's defense, when you think about it, when he went into 2021, he had nine new starters on his defense. So he, he really kind of had to pull that defense together. But as you mentioned, they were playing some really, really good defense at times. Now this past year, he kind of had to dial th- some things back a little bit. There weren't some guys that weren't necessarily ready for some things. When you look at the 2022 season from a defensive standpoint, Jadavian Clowney, we came to find out, was unhappy from the start. By the time you got to September and they were playing uh, the Baltimore Ravens, he was already uh, unhappy about his role and flip-flopping over to the tougher matchup and swapping sides with, with Miles Garrett. So he was not himself and ended up with only two sacks last year. That right there is enough to kind of really hurt a defense. If you, you know, the, the next highest sacker, as we always say, after Miles was Taven Bryan with three, it shouldn't have been that way. I mean, they should have had, uh, you know, nine again from Jadavian and then, you know, six from someone else or at least a combined six from a couple of other guys. So Miles got no help. That didn't, that did not help matters at all. Miles flips his car, right? Miles flips his car. He wasn't himself for a long time. Perion Winfrey, you know, had a lot of issues with maturity or lack thereof and uh, all the things that he went through last year. 
And then there were just other issues in the back end. There were guys that didn't, you know, that didn't embrace their roles necessarily. We came to find out that Greg Newsom absolutely did not love playing in the slot. Uh, John Johnson three didn't feel that he necessarily was always put in the best situations. And then there were tons of injuries. I mean, tons of injuries, especially to the linebackers. So it was a weird year. And I think Jim Schwartz will have a, a much better season than Joe did with everything that went on. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think there's maybe an argument to be made that a, a more man-based scheme will be better for the secondary. But the bottom line is it, it's Jimmy's and Joe's over X's and O's. That's the old mm-hmm. saying. And so, yeah, you got to have good coaching, but it comes down to the guys you have. And any coordinator who has Zedarius Smith and Oboe and two really good defensive tackles and, and a what we think is going to be a better secondary and more experienced secondary too, like that, that, that defensive coordinator is going to be better set up for success. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Um, But I do think, you know, that obviously the Browns felt like they needed an upgrade at the coaching at some of the coaching spots. Uh, You know, Chris Kiffin, the defensive line coach, uh, you know, he's gone and Jeff Howard, the secondary coach, He's gone along with with Joe Woods, and I think they felt like, um, you know, in some cases they needed a little bit more experience at some of those spots. But um, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be better. I mean, I, I just don't think that you're going to see the blown coverages and some of the things that we saw last year, especially if some of the, some of those guys come back healthy. Okay, so we got a question about the assistant coaches here. This comes from Fred in Naples. Hey, Mary Kay, I'm curious how much the Browns spend on their coaching staff in the front office. I'm sure Bill Callahan, Jim Schwartz, Bubba Ventro, and Alex Van Pelt are not cheap. I think the Haslams have given Kevin and Andrew more than enough to put together a winning team. And Mary Kay, as he goes through that list, you know, without even knowing how much maybe those guys are making, you don't have a staff like that for cheap. That, that's not a shoestring budget staff. Those are those are some real coaches. And Bill Callahan recently got extended. Um, those are real coaches that are making real money. Yes, absolutely. They did not scrimp and save in in the assistant coach department by any stretch of the imagination. It's going to cost some money to get Jim Schwartz to come back here uh, and out of semi retirement and be your defensive coordinator. And then Bubba Ventrone, one of the best in the business as a special teams coordinator. I mean, that definitely doesn't come cheap either. I don't know how much they're all making specifically, uh, but some of these guys are, you know, at or near the top of their profession in what they've done. Um, Bubba, you know, we know his credentials with top five special teams units over the last how many ever years. Um, Jim Schwartz taking his defense to, you know, helping the Philadelphia Eagles to a Super Bowl in 2017 with a really, really good defense. So, no, these guys don't come cheap. We always hear the Browns talk about Bill Callahan being the best offensive line coach in the NFL. So they've got some of the best in the business here, and they're willing. Jimmy Haslam, we can always say this about Jimmy, no matter what. They had a lot of false starts. They got a lot of things wrong. What they don't get wrong is spending money. They will spend money to make this football team great. And, and that's one of the things in the NFL and really all sports. I mean, there's no cap on coaches. There's no salary cap. You can you can pay a coach however much you want. I mean, in Denver, they have the Walmart family owning them. They can pay Sean Payton however much money he wants to come back and coach. And, and that's one of the areas where a team, if you've got an owner willing to spend money, you're, you can load up a coaching staff and have a staff that can both support Kevin and also just help make your team better all around. Yeah. And you can see the fruits of it. I mean, when you just look at the offensive line alone and you see 
how well these guys play and how quickly they come up the learning curve. And I think we'll really be able to see it in Dewan Jones over the next two years. I mean, if he really can turn him into, you know, just even physically uh, and technically speaking into a really good offensive lineman, then, you know, that's worth whatever they're paying him. Uh, Ethan Posick, the center, climbed from total obscurity to the number nine center in the NFL last year. Uh, the guards, obviously, making all pros and pro bowls and millions of dollars. Jack Conklin playing well. Jed constant, you know, continually uh, coming along and being on the right trajectory. So, you know, it, it's worth it when you have a coach like that. Okay, a question about kind of looking back on last year. This comes from Brian in Delaware, Ohio. Hey, Mary Kay, last offseason and even in the preseason, we were all a bit surprised and concerned how many first-team reps Deshaun Watson was getting when we all knew Brissett needed to develop chemistry with his offense quickly to be ready to win early in the season. Now, Brian says, he's grateful that he had that time to work on rediscovering his skills and is hopeful he'll be back to form by September. Any thoughts on how it all played out and Kevin Stefanski's master plan? Well, I still think that they needed to give Jacoby Brissett more work last year. I think if you know that he's going to be starting the first 11 games of the season, that you have to try harder to get him ready and worry about the last six games when you get there. Because if you don't take care of the first 11 games, you're not going to have much to play for in the final six. Uh, so I don't think that they gave Jacoby Brissett enough of the first team reps during training camp last year. You know, I mean, I think it probably did have, you know, probably did help Deshaun to have some of those, but you know, you, you knew you're going to have a whole, another off season and another training camp. So I, I don't know. I would have given more to Jacoby. I don't know how much impact it had uh, those extra reps for, for Deshaun. They've got so many new players now that it's almost like reinventing the wheel in some cases. He's got four new pass catchers. And a lot of those guys, we're not talking about back-end guys. We're talking about starters and guys that are going to play a lot of football. So he's really got to get to know these guys basically from scratch. Yeah, and then look, obviously this is with the benefit of hindsight, but it's not like Deshaun Watson came back last year and, and set the world on fire. I mean, he really struggled. He looked like he hadn't played in two years. So all those first-team reps... It didn't really help. I I do wonder if there was a thinking there that like, hey, we're going to stay afloat and we're going to make sure that when Sean Watson comes back, the Browns are going to be in the playoff hunt. And because we got him these first team reps, he's going to be ready to go and we're going to make a push. And it just it obviously didn't happen like that. They were essentially out of it. But by, by the time I mean, they were hanging on by a thread by the time time Deshaun came back. And I do wonder, again, with the benefit of hindsight now, if they would have done things a little differently to maybe start a, a little faster. Yeah, I mean, it may have helped. But the other thing, when I look back at those first 11 games, uh, the other thing to consider is the fact that, you know, it was the defense and the special teams that really didn't do their part in the first 11 games. And if those two units had done their part, there's a pretty darn good chance that they could have made the playoffs. I mean, the, the defense and special teams were both horrible and, and cost them football games. Cost them at least, I would say, on the conservative side, let's say they directly cost the Browns what, three victories last year. And that's enough to contend for the playoffs. You know, I mean, that could get you a playoff spot right there. So, um, you know, Jacoby did his part, even though I still think that he would have been better off with more first team reps. For the most part, he did what he needed to do. 
Uh, and it was the other two units that that I think kind of let the Browns down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, uh, you know, the Jets game, right? That was both of them let mm-hmm. the offense down um the the falcons game they gave up all those rushing yards and that was the game that miles missed when he flipped his car um mm-hmm. you could argue you could argue the dolphins game a little bit I, mm-hmm. you know although things were starting to fall apart by then but yeah there i think you could pretty easily find three to four games that you can point at the special teams or the defense or both and say if that's a little different the browns maybe win those games so yes yeah i mean maybe it just wouldn't have mattered yeah it, it might not have mattered um, but I still think I would have handled things just uh, a little bit differently to give Jacoby, uh, you know, just a, a little bit more time with the starters. Okay, this is kind of a fun one. Kevin in Kingsport, Tennessee. Hey, Mary Kay, pick the top three things that will make or break the Browns season this year. Quarterback play exempt. So here's what he throws out. Coaching, culture, player development scheme. He says injuries. I'm actually going to take injuries out because that's always kind of a given to um, play calling schedule. So again, that's coaching culture, player development scheme, play calling and schedule. We got to okay. pick three of them All and no, right. no, co- no quarterback play. And, and I'm calling an audible and taking injuries out of the mix. Okay. All right. So, um, what was it? Player development was the third Let's one. Let's see. Okay. Player development was the third one. Okay. All right. So um, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go coaching. I'm going to go with okay. coaching. Uh, as uh, if if we can't have some of these other things, I think coaching is going to loom very large because Kevin Stefanski has got to know how to call the right kind of a game for Deshaun Watson. He has to maximize. Deshaun Watson's skill set, and he has to bring it all together. Because what do we know about this football team right now? On paper, it's looking really darn good, isn't it? I mean, it's really starting to come together very nicely on paper. They pretty much have everything that we need, that they need, and there are certain positions that we can say uh, with some conviction that are among the best in the NFL. And so, I think they have exactly what they need uh, to make the playoffs and go deep into the playoffs. But it has to be coached up well. So I'm going to put that number one. Um, and then it kind of goes along with scheme, but I'm going to say scheme. I think scheme yeah. is important. I think scheme is really important. Um, and, uh, and, that, and that can count for defense too. Yes. You know, like how this defensive scheme works. Yes. Offense and defense. And we know that they're going to play you know, defensively, we know a lot of things already about Jim Schwartz's defense. We know that they're going to be very attack minded up front. We know that, uh, that they're going to play a lot more man in the back end. We know that they're going to play more of like a, a wide nine kind of an alignment, um, with the, the ends lined up wide, one or both ends lined up wide at times. Um, but they're going to attack a lot more. And I think, so I think that's going to be good and interesting. Um, so I think the schemes are important. And again, offensively, uh, you know, it, it's going to be important to see how they manage all these pieces and parts. Are they going to play a lot of three wides? Are they going to play four wides? Are they going to change up the tempo? Are they going to let uh, Deshaun Watson, you know, run a lot more no huddle? And, you know, wh- what are they going to do schematically? I do think that's important. And I think then, and I th- I'm going to, I think play calling kind of goes along with coaching. Yeah, schemes. I, so, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So that's two, those are all kind of getting a little close. 
Um, the schedule is right about in the middle of the pack. So I don't think that that's enough to shift the balance of power, power either way. It's not like they've got the easiest schedule or the hardest. So the schedule kind of is what it is. So I'm going to say culture. I'm going to say culture. I think uh, that they need that camaraderie. I think they need tremendous leadership. I've talked to uh, you know, a lot of players that have gone to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl, and they always talk about veteran leadership is vitally important. You got to be able to hold the team together. You've got to have guys. Last year, when guys were complaining on defense, you got to have somebody that's going to step in there and nip that in the bud. Uh, I think they've got guys this year that are going to be able to do that. Um, you've got to have a winning attitude. I think guys like Juan Thornhill bring that. Um, I think uh, there are there are other guys on on offense and defense that that know that and understand that, and I just think it's just got to be a championship mindset. I, I really do, and I think that culture is is going to be one hundred percent imperative. Okay, I'm glad you put culture on the list. I thought you might uh, because I agree. I I think you know we were around it last year, um, and it was just you know when the defense was falling apart, you had guys kind of you know, complaining behind the scenes and just, you know, you had the Jadavion Clowney situation that was stewing all season long. And it was just, you can't have stuff like that. You, you've got to, you've got to be able to hold together and have each other's backs. And it's not always going to be great and not everybody's going to be happy, but you've got to manage to kind of keep that stuff in house, keep that st- stuff under control and everybody get in line and do your job. That's what Bill Belichick's been so good at o- over the years. And I, I think that's just really been lacking with this team for all these years when they've had expectations. When you kind of think back on those seasons, you you kind of look at the culture and you're like, was, was that right? Was the culture where it needed to be on top of everything else? And I think that's really important in the NFL. I think so too. And I think some of the players that they have added this year, I think it has been uh, with that culture in mind. I mean, when you look at, at a Juan Thornhill and we are, you know, we can already see some of the, you know, he's not tolerating any negativity and he's uh, you know, he's all about, you know, he knows what it takes to win a Super Bowl because he has two Super Bowl rings and he's been to the Super Bowl three times. So he, you know, you can listen to him because he knows what he's talking about. Uh, and then you've got a Rodney McLeod who comes in here with a lot of leadership, a lot of experience. Guys look up to him. Guys are going to listen to him. He knows the Jim Schwartz way. He'll help implement it. I think some of the guys that they brought in uh, to the football team are, are going to help with, with the personality, the vibe, the culture of the team, and it needed a change. Yeah, I mean, even as a Darius Smith, who's been, on, who's been in a winning program, um, who's played in playoff games and, you know, all that stuff helps. And so I, th- I think adding veterans like Dalvin Tomlinson, right? That, that's a veteran guy, a younger veteran, but still a veteran guy. So I, I just think culture is, is super important to this thing. And I think it's been something they've, they've lacked. Um, I think, I mean, I think we hit all of them because like you said, play calling fits in, I think with co- with coaching and scheme, player development. Sure. And like I said, injuries is one of those things that, it just wreaks havoc across the entire NFL. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that's just a given. I, I would say the one thing about the schedule is that early part of the schedule. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. That's, about the, that, that's yeah. the one argument I would make about the schedule. But even that, like, yeah, even if they get in a situation where they, they fall behind in the division because of those first four games, mm-hmm. you can still kind of sneak your way in as a wild card. 
um, mm-hmm. with seven teams making it. So it's not over by any stretch, but I think that's maybe the one area where I would say the schedule could be a factor. Yeah, no, you're right about that. The The beginning of the schedule is absolutely brutal. And if you screw that up, uh, it, it can it can really hurt you. But there are opportunities to make up for it. Um, there are the wild card spots. And as we know, there's an extra one these days, and that really helps. Um, so, yeah, I was I think I was thinking more in terms of the fact that it's not like a brutal schedule. It's not like super brutal. Um, it, and it's not a walk in the cake, as Butch Davis would say. So, you know, it's, if you look at the Warren Sharp, you know, football outsiders model where they go by projected win totals for 2023, as opposed to, uh, you know, the one loss record from 2022, they're right in the middle of the pack. And so, you know, I don't think the schedule is going to necessarily make or break them. And in some years, some years it would, in some years it absolutely, I mean, if you find yourself with the, you know, second toughest or the third toughest schedule in the NFL, that can make a huge difference in, in where you end up at the end of the season. But I, you know, in this case, I think for the most part, they're right where they're going to be comfortable. Yeah. I, I think after that first month, that's pretty much like, and you know, outside of the buy it's, you know, they, they don't have a lot of rest disadvantages. They're, they're doing okay schedule wise. So I don't think it's that huge of a factor for them because they do have some winnable games late. You would think, or you would hope that they're good enough to call those winnable games, but it's just those first four. That's going to be an absolute test for this team. It really is. I mean, it's so uncanny to look at the schedule and see those three AFC North games in the first four weeks. I, I couldn't believe it when I first saw it. And I, you know, actually prefer more of those uh, AFC North games backloaded to the end of the season to, to keep everybody on the edge of their seat and in total suspense. Uh, so, it, you know, it kind of, you know, I think it's going to take a little bit of the luster off in some ways of the end of the season, um, but maybe not. Maybe, I, you know, I still think that this division is going to be uh, a, just a battle to the finish, just a battle right to the finish line. Uh, with the talent in the AFC North. So it's still going to be really, really exciting. But you know the difference between a Baltimore Ravens game or a Steelers game and, uh, you know, even a whatever, a Jaguars game or whatever the case may be. There, It's just you can't even compare the feeling, the intensity, the hype. You know, it's just not the same. And it's not as fun sitting there like, oh, man, let's see if the Browns can beat the Bears and then also see what the Steelers and you want it to be head to head. You want it to be you. I like that backloaded thing, too. But now that actually brings us to our last question here. Brian from Minnesota. Hey, Mary Kay. I was thinking this weekend about strength of the division. Are we back to the strength that was back when the Oilers and Steelers of the late seventies and early eighties were there? There were no easy games and two teams. that seemed like we're in the playoffs every year. Plus uh, the Steelers won two Super Bowls. Uh, since he made it to a Super Bowl, uh, the Browns were making the playoffs in the eighties. Is, is the AFC North feeling a little bit like the, uh, the old, what, what was the AFC central back then? Yes. You know, it does feel like that. It really does feel like that. I mean, we when I look ahead to this season and, you know, if, if we if we had to rank where we think these teams in the AFC North are going to finish this season, I think it's hard. I think it's really hard to predict exactly what's going to happen. 
I mean, I still look at it from a quarterback centric standpoint. And I, for whatever reason, still look at the Steelers and think, oh, you know, it's Kenny Pickett, you know, second year, he's not going to be, you know, you can't put him up there with Deshaun and Lamar and Joe Burrow. But, you know, he showed some moxie last year. And when you surround him with a good football team and you have a really good defense, anything can happen. Anything can happen. So no matter what, you know, they always end up in the hunt late, late in the season. They, they're almost always right there. So, you know, you certainly can't count them out. I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know how this is going to go. But I will say that, yes, I think it's right back uh, where it was back in those glory days. And um, I think it's one of the absolute toughest divisions in all of football. Yeah, if it's actually been down in recent years, which I don't know that it has, it's certainly back on the upswing. I mean, it was back in 2020 when three teams made the playoffs. Browns finished mm-hmm. third place and they made the playoffs in 2020. So that was a, yeah. that was a good division. And it, it just seems every single year, and, and part of it is good organizations, right? Pittsburgh, we know, model organization. Baltimore, the same way. Cincinnati, I know they, they've got a reputation for being cheap, but they've had a lot of stability there and they've drafted well and, and they kind of know what they want to be. Um, and, and I think that's why the North kind of year in and year out has been successful because you have those two really great organizations, couple kind of struggle to find their ways here and there, but when everybody's kind of on the right path, it can be the toughest division in football pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be, it'll be fun. I'll tell you what, I mean, we don't have to wait long for the fun to begin, right? I mean, we're going to know in those first four games, kind of, uh, how Deshaun has blended with his new receiving core, how um, how Kevin Stefanski is calling games from you don't have time to ramp up and kind of let things play out a little bit and gear up for your December games. No, you've got to be ready to hit the ground running. They're going to have to work really, really hard in the offseason, uh, in the preseason and training camp. So uh, and it starts this week, Dan. I mean, OTAs, we are going out there. For OTAs already on Wednesday, we're going to see that full squad out on the field in two days. I mean, it's here. Once, how is it May already? By the way, like how how is it May? I don't know. I what happened? Yeah, I honestly wasn't it don't just. Know. I thought it was just snowing. Anyways, it's May. <laughs> it could still here, snow. <laughs> it could. I mean, here we are in OTAs. Once you hit OTAs. It's like, you you know, you better start making your reservations for, for games. And it like, it's go time. Yeah. we've So we've got OTAs starting Wednesday. Well, they start actually before Wednesday. Our first day out there will be Wednesday. We'll be out there again next Wednesday. And then because of the shortened program, because they, they start training camp early, we've got mandatory minicamp two weeks. Mm-hmm. We'll be at mandatory minicamp in two weeks. So yeah, it's starting to get real here. Oh, uh, yeah. For, for sure. And of course, we'll have it all covered at cleveland.com slash Browns. We'll talk about it all here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also become a football insider subscriber. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. And get subscribed to our YouTube, uh, especially because there'll be highlights going up there, stand-ups from the practice field, all that stuff. Uh, go to YouTube, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com to get subscribed to that. And hey, maybe we'll put up some uh, some shorts there too. We've been playing around with those. Uh, recently. So lots of stuff coming on our YouTube channel as well. Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds great.